Hello, welcome to another episode of the Legacy Investing Podcast. I'm Nate, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Josh. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm scorching. It's, it's piping hot. I was going to say, you're, it's so um, hot up here. you're in Toowoomba, and you're sitting in a car that isn't running in the heat. <laughs> mate, yeah, well, let's, yeah. I don't, I got nothing to say. It's just hot. It's hot. It's about 32 degrees. And um, in Toowoomba, of all places, I thought it'd be uh, a little bit cooler up here. But yeah, well, I see it as dedication, yeah. dedication to the podcast, hey? Yeah, legacy dedication. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good day, mate. So um, let's get straight into it. You are, we're going, we're doing something different today. I have absolutely no idea um, what we're talking about. Oh, I have a little bit of an idea, but I have no idea about the um, what you're going to throw at me. So, yeah, you're going completely surprised to me, and you're going to lead it, and um, the guru that you are, <laughs> and um, you're going to take us through the, or we're going to talk about the Bill Ackman checklist. Is that right? Yes, yes. So, um, I think it's you know fitting that we've just talked about the checklist we use um, for investing. So why not? See how much correlation. So just to give a bit of background, Bill Ackman is yeah. a, a hedge fund manager in in the USA. And, uh, you know, he's very similar investing styles to the Warren Buffett style. And I've heard his name thrown around a lot on uh, Invested podcasts. So Phil Town's a big fan. They've gone into investments together in the past, uh, the main one being Chipotle. And Ackman still owns a big chunk of that and it sits on the board. So, um, yeah, he's a really good investor and, you know, why not throw around his checklist, which is a lot shorter, um, and see how much it correlates to what we use. Actually, yeah, it's going to be really interesting because obviously the checklist that we use is very um, Bill Townsy and um, it's a big, long checklist. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty simple guy, so I'm, I'm intrigued to hear about these eight points and, and how simple he does it. Um, but you also, just quickly to backtrack there, you mentioned that he's... Um, so has he partnered up with Phil Towns a couple of times in terms of a, a partnership or have they just they've come together, talked and said, let's invest in Chipotle? Uh, no, no partnership there, I don't believe. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure of that, but um, they they invested into Chipotle together. Um, so I believe Bill Ackman invested into Chipotle. And, you know, that was one of, I guess, Phil Towns' gurus, as he speaks of. And, yeah. um and Phil Town had done his research on it as well. So he just seen that as an extra tick in the box to go in into Chipotle. Mm. I'm pretty but, sure if you follow uh, if you follow Phil Town and, and the podcast invested, I'm pretty sure he's sold out of it at Chipotle at like yeah. 800 or 600 or something. And it's, it's I think it's 1500 now. Or yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So this is um, on a recent episode I was listening to. He, he talked about this and he said, you know, he valued Chipotle at around that five six hundred dollar mark so he bought in at around 250 and then sold out around 500 then i believe he bought back in again with a two in front of it and sold out again around that six six hundred mark um but you know he always talks about his minimum acceptable rate of return of 15 percent a year and because he did his margin of safety analysis using the 15 percent um he sold out a lot lower if he had used a smaller number then he said um, like the market uses, I guess, because at the moment, you know, this was such high valuations, you can't expect a massive rate of return. 
um, longer term, he said he probably would have held on for a lot longer. But he also talks about Bill Ackman with Chipotle. Bill Ackman had a lot to do with their turnaround. Well, not their turnaround, but a lot to do with their growth. Uh, Yeah. And growth, future, like past the recovery, a lot to do with their growth. And he said, you know, Bill Ackman's the kind of guy who, you know, if you would invest like exactly like, you know, we do and we try to talk about, um, you know, you get a price, uh, you get a value and you try and buy it at a price so you can build it back up to that value then get your 15% or whatever moving forward. Um, He goes, but Bill Ackman, you know, what he did with Chipotle is he don't only, you know, invested heavily into that company when it was low uh, going through an event, but he added so much value to that company that Phil Town didn't actually look at in terms right. of he could have valued it higher. So Bill yeah. Ackman's the kind of guy who adds that value to get extra growth in the future. So that was really good. So what Phil Towns was saying is, so instead of using 15%, he could have used 10%. He probably still would have been holding. Is that right? Yeah, because when you throw uh, when you throw in a smaller percentage, um, yeah. it means that you've got longer time to hold it. I can't remember exactly what he said, and then I'm starting to think. It begs the question why he, you know, it begs the question whether you know would have, he would have been better off just holding this whole time. Exactly, but he went with the the more Warren Buffett, the younger Warren Buffett style. The younger, yeah, the or yeah. the older Warren Buffett would hold, right? The younger no, Warren Buffett, the, yeah. Sorry, yes, correct. The, the older, would yeah, the hold. Y- younger Warren Buffett was in and out, you know, sort of turning fifty percent a year. Um, yeah, for those yeah. First decade or the decade or two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 I, I it's interesting. Think, yeah, I do think Warren talks about uh, he's too big now to be in and out of companies, but can't um, do it. Yeah, so he's just he's just better off holding. Mm-hmm. And he's openly just, said to his investors, he's openly said, look, you know, if I had $5 million like I did back in the day, I'd be making 50% a year, but I can't do that yeah. with $180 billion. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> million or billion? $180 billion now, yes. Billion, yeah. With a B. Yeah, yeah big B. Probably more. I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's got a ridiculous number of billion dollars just in cash. So. All right, hit it, hit me, hit me. All right, so Bill Ackman's eight-step checklist. Um, step number one: the company needs to be simple, and it needs to be a simple and predictable business. That's it. So, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess that takes us back to, um, you know, understanding the business, doesn't it, and having all those principles. It, it wraps a lot of questions up into that sort of one, one question. Is this just quickly too is this a checklist he goes through before investing in a company or is he running his filters through this uh, he'd be running through it all the time but um this is this is what he uses to determine whether he's you know gonna buy a business yeah and i guess like simple and predictable businesses it cuts out so many businesses you know Mm. um you know for me like looking at you know a a broad bank or something, you know, that has, you know, a lot of its income from investments and like all this extra stuff. Like it's, it's probably harder for myself to value a bank. Whereas if I went to a simple retail store who, you know, buys a you know product, if it wholesale and sells it at retail, like that's simple and predictable, you know, there's retail cycles. It's all this kind of stuff. It's so much easier to understand. So, you know, I believe he come up with this checklist, because he, you know, got burnt on a few investments that he thought he knew, but he didn't know. Um, right. So this is just uh, bringing you back to earth going, if I don't understand it, it's not an investment. So, yeah. 
yeah, key point. Understand if it, if it's simple. I mean, really, if, if it's not simple, and it's complex. You, you're really going to struggle to understand it, especially if it's not in a field you understand, or um, mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes you'll read the the company um, you know profile or whatever, and it's just all this jargon that you just have no idea about. Now we can research it and try and figure that out and and understand it. But um, yeah, I, I like I like that first question. Do, do you want to just hit me with it again because I don't have it in front of me. Yep. So. It's just, uh, needs to be a, needs to be a simple and predictable business. Simple and predictable business. Yeah, I like it. Yep. Let's do an example. What's a simple and predictable business? I guess um, well, see, sees candy. You know, but one of one of Warren Buffett's favorite businesses. Sees uh, yep. candy, just a, mm-hmm. a confectionery business. Um, can raise prices every year at four percent with inflation, and um, you know, they're just pump, punching out uh, lollies essentially. Yeah, I I think you know, a lot of the retail stores like um, retail, yeah. you know, Sprout Sprout Farmers Market in America as well. Like that's that's one I've heard talked about a bit, and it's simple, it's predictable, and you know, it has moats in terms of uh, it's got a lot of local contracts with local um, produce people that you know flows in with cheaper prices to their store, which they can sell for a profit. You know thus getting better margins. So it seems simple and predictable, I think. Sounds good. Cool. All right, All right. number two. Number two, free cash flow generative. Nice. I mean, yeah, that, yeah we in, in the checklist we've gone through in the last um, umpteen, <laughs> umpteen <laughs> episodes we did there uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, we, we talked about, the, you know, we want free cash flow from the business owner, you know, like we, we really want a company that's producing cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that covers that um, quite nicely. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think I could, I could add to this, you know, free cash flow generative being it doesn't need debt to grow the business. Um, it's yeah. growing business just from what it's got. And I think another one there is, um, you know, to, to make free cash flow bigger and better, um, you want low capital expenditure. So if you can create bigger incomes with lower costs, you're, you're making more free cash. And at the end of the day, that free cash is cash in the back pocket to the owners. And so it just turns into a juggernaut. You obviously don't want to be taking on debt to, ideally not taking on debt to grow a business, obviously in the early stages maybe. But you know, once you get a, a business to um, to be cash flow positive like that, you can just keep reinvesting. You know, Buffett often talks about, you know, those businesses he'd prefer to have, um, you know, not them to return the dividends and, you know, invest it back. If they can, you know, invest it and make 20 or 30% a year return on invested capital, return on equity, yeah. um, you know, that's that's the kind of businesses, you know, that you would want to own and that we want to, that we want to chase. Um, and interestingly, I, was, I was, had this uh, gentleman in the, um, this week in the clinic and um, he was talking about his um his business that he knows and oh, like they're just they're just taking on debt to um try and grow it and um you know that that's just really stressful um mm. so you know you want to you want a cash rich cash flow rich business I like you, got an, you got an example of a cash flow rich business do i have an example well apple apple's spitting out money isn't it um yeah true to the point where the shareholders are, you know, begging Apple to return some dividends at least, do, at least do something with with it. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the other one, mate, is is your favourite, 
was, I was, that's what I was you know, expecting. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. I do. Um, yeah, A2 a- a- Milk uh, has plenty of cash on the books, almost yeah. almost a billion dollars. They used a little bit to buy the Matura Valley um, purchase uh, last yep. year or this year. Last yep. year it was. Um, but yeah, they still got $750 million in um, yeah. cash. And um, I think part of their recent fall back at their um, their presentation was that I think investors were hoping that the dividends would come. But yeah, it was good to see. They obviously have something on the horizon where they're going to invest back into the business heavily. So yeah, and, and they yeah. do. They, they invest heavily, uh, especially in marketing and advertising. And that's basically what they are. You know, they're dairy yeah. business but their marketing business that's basically yep. it so yep. interesting yeah yeah they've had All a great right. run last couple of weeks just quickly but yeah 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 a few more things happening there but we'll chat about that another week because we'll stick on with this um <laughs> you ready for number three mate hit me uh needs to have a dominant market position yeah so we're talking about moats and um and uh market share and market share yeah yeah so there's, there's a very simple, um, very, it's a very simple checklist, isn't it? It is. But I think like, even with this first three, how many, how many businesses can you discount straight away? Well, that's the point. I mean, you're really trying to eliminate the, um, really simply, you just want to eliminate all the ones that you just, you don't even have to think about too much and then you can dive in a bit later. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So businesses with, um, you know, a dominant market share, you know, they'll come you know the cream will rise to the top and um you know that that eliminates a lot of businesses that you're not going to be um wasting your time on and wasting money on um yeah yeah i understand because like i guess you know uh a company with more market share you know clearly it's doing something right to get to that point first of all but second of all it doesn't need to spend as much in advertising it doesn't need to spend as much trying to get its name out there because everybody knows it so that's a mode in itself, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, and it would be interesting to see um, those companies that get bigger and bigger and get better brand awareness, whether their marketing um, expenses do go down over time. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't be, I'm not sure of that, but that would be an interesting little research to do. Um, bigger, bigger companies, you know, yeah, they've just got so much word of mouth and brand awareness that, um, and, and those with the market share don't have to, try and market because you know because competitors are coming in on their space so if they've got that sort of real um you know that question's talking about market share if there's no competitors in that space mm. you know who, who you're marketing and trying to market over um, exactly you know, and that means they're saving money and yeah. um, the business is going to keep building yeah and that brings us on to point four which is i think you kind of just touched on there large barriers to entry which affects you know competition so point four is uh, the industry, I guess, has large barriers to entry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably a, a great, um, when you think about um, companies and, you know, um, I guess the Burlington Rail that Warren Buffett owns, that's, that's probably one that comes to mind. It's, it's not an easy task to just build a railway, um, yeah. you know, from point A to point B, you know, the, the, the capital, you know, the, the capital you would need of just, you know, who's, who's coming up with billions of dollars just to um, build that. And then it's just going to take so many years to um, recoup that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, you've got big market share and you've, it's just going to take so much capital. You know, who's going who's gonna to start something? 
Yeah, exactly. And that's like them two play well together because if you've got a dominant mark position in an industry that has large barriers to entry, like people need to raise a lot of capital or take on a lot of debt just to get started, then straight away you get started and now you've got this behemoth of a business that's already killing it and you have to try and overtake that business. So now unless it's in a, unless it's in a, you know, I think a tech, you know, yeah. any not anybody, but tech's evolving so often. So this is probably, in my opinion, probably more of like a something physical kind of business. But saying that, Apple, you know, Apple is a dominant market player, and there's a, a large barrier to entry. I think just because Apple and you know, Android or Samsung or whatever, you know, big big players in in the industry, it'd be hard to come out with something new that's gonna, you know beat them at what they do yeah but i mean they've got they've had longevity um apple's you know been around for a long time if, if apple was invented today and this is exactly what we're talking about you know, so we, we we just had a bit of a bit of a technical <laughs> issue the, yeah. the phone the phone overheated and um yeah it's just uh that's how hot it is this yeah. is see this is just going you know to show how dedicated you are to this so good stuff <laughs> Mate, sweat, sweat, sweat is dripping off me the iphone's overheating all good uh cool. point four mate so yeah we're talking about apple and the barriers to entry and, yeah um, you know, obviously you know someone coming in just just i mean it, you and you were specifically talking about tech and, and that mm. sort of space it is is you know I, I guess the tech industry when you're investing in it um probably extra caution has to take place because the barriers to entry may be uh somewhat less yeah. Um, unless you're a juggernaut like Apple or Google. Um, exactly. Obviously, but you know, tech tech can be in the healthcare industry, so sort of like these sub sub industries. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. great, mate. That's that's number yeah. four. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Let's crack on because I know how hot it is there, and you're, you're probably getting a bit hot yourself. So we'll we'll finish up. So uh, point five: uh, high return on capital. We talk about this one a fair yeah. bit. So, yeah. does he have a uh, does he have a number that he likes to at sort of a minimum? Good question. Or... I'm not too sure. Yeah, That's... what's considered high? Yeah, well, like I guess we can put our swing on this because this is you know putting this in our our words. Yeah. But high return on capital, we look for you know minimum ten percent. Um, ideally, yeah. we want above fifteen percent because high return yeah. on capital, and this is return on invested capital as we speak of. Um, you know that's a big management play for us isn't it yeah uh, 10% it's it's sort of a i mean it's it's if a business can keep churning out 10% plus that's you know that they're good managers of um of what they're doing and um mm -hmm. you know it's interesting i um was talking to a gentleman um this week and he worked at one of the um you know the big grocery stores uh, i won't say which one but they um you know, for those guys to grow, they they also really cut hard on their expenses, and you know, for him it was they really cut into the you know the employees. Um, they they just pushed them so hard, mate, to just try and get those um, I guess margins. You know, they were cutting yeah. hours, and so I mean that's probably understanding the business and knowing. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily somewhere where I'd be happy to to put my money if I knew they were just not really looking after their employees and staff, but. Um, that temp, yeah. that's a bit of a sidetrack, but yeah, ten percent for us is is minimum. Ideally, if you see find a company up there around sort of 
15, 20. That's fantastic. And I guess, you know, we've been talking a bit about a few companies recently and we've been looking at, you know, numbers 25, 30 plus. That's that's great management. That's sustainable over long periods of time. You know that that company has a massive moat. So, yeah. Yeah, If you you can jag one of those companies in in a bit of a down year or after an event, um, Mm. that's ideal. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So point six, uh, limited exposure to non-controllable extrinsic risk. That's a lot of words. What do you take from that? Yeah, it's, say again, mate. Do that one again. <laughs> Limited exposure to non-controllable extrinsic risk. Um, if I was to put this into my words, this is finding a business in an injury, uh, in, in an industry yeah. that you know can't really be screwed over by, say, a government policy change or something in the lines of that. You know that. They have a lot of control over what they're doing and outside forces can't really affect them too much. Yeah, two things come to mind. Um, just as you were saying that, this one comes to mind. Back when Kevin Rudd was in um, the Prime Minister of Australia, he, he flooded the idea of getting rid of salary, sacrificing it, absolutely smashed the share prices of um, those companies that were in that space. Mm-hmm. Um that's what you're talking about. And the first thing that actually came to mind was like the agricultural industry, you know, farming and, you know, you can't control a cyclone, you can't control a bushfire, you can't control a flood. Um, yeah. You know, those industries can be you know, a cyclical and can be a bit boom or bust. So yeah, you know, if, you're, if you're extracting them out and just saying no, um, you're going to get a, le- a lot less bouncy. If, you, if you're investing in those, you really do have to pick the right time it's probably more of a trade which is not really what we're doing yeah for sure and even like you know to take that to more of like a say a retail business getting affected by that kind of stuff like maybe john deere they make tractors tractors are used yeah. on you know farms but if if there's a uh, a drought and farmers aren't really making money they're not buying tractors are they so no. you know that's that's some extrinsic risk that's not controllable yep i like that one cool all right point seven uh, strong balance sheet where outside capital is not necessary. Yeah. So what would it's it's sort of flowing on a little bit from a, a cash flow um, viewpoint as Benefit, well. You got yeah. lots of cash. You got a good strong balance sheet. There's no debt. Um, yeah. yeah. You're not ha- not relying on um, having to do a capital raise. Yeah. Uh, you're not relying on debt to um, to growth it, it encapsulates you know i guess when we're looking at our checklist it encapsulates uh, one one question sort of a, uh, encapsulates that whole variety of questions that we go into on um cash flows and and all that sort of stuff yeah and i think this this point would have been you know this is something that's overlooked i talk about you know investing with a couple of the guys here um and this gets overlooked this one because i think back to uh covid when you know it started to really have its take its toll on a few businesses but how many companies had to capital raise you know a lot of companies had to capital raise or they were going to go under so you know that goes to show a weak balance sheet if not a weak just like a, a subpar balance sheet where you've got these other companies who you know look at a2 milk and i i know we rag on about this one but like they had a awesome you know cash on their bank like on their balance sheet so they were able mm. to do that then nonetheless like they actually had a really good period during that but let's move away from there there's plenty of other companies who didn't have to raise capital they 
they had either the money there or they were still, you know, during a pandemic, they were still able to make money so they didn't have to go out and, you know, dilute the hell out of their shares. Yeah. I think there's a few companies that come to mind there that in the travel industry, the web jets, the flight centers yeah. and, um, you know, Qantas and they all, they all raised capital after that big drop. I think if they had waited maybe a month or two, they would have been able to raise capital mm. at a higher share price. Um, but I guess for them, the uncertainty of what was going on um, and, and a lot of them, you know, in their response to the, you know, the media and coming out was to say that it was to show up the balance sheet. But, you know, like you said, if you've got such a, you know, Buffett always talks about having a fortress of, um, you know, in his, his companies, he, he wants to be prepared because he's in insurance heavily. Yeah. Uh, he wants to be prepared for that day when, you know, maybe they do have to pay out and oh, you know, they're yeah. not having to, yeah, they're not having to call up their, their um, facilities and so forth. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we move on to the final point, point eight. And We've, we've smacked on about this one all a whole lot, but excellent management and good governance. Yeah, cool. <laughs> straightforward. Yep, yep, straightforward. And um, I mean, the, I guess the difference here is, is you know, he, he might actually go into a little bit more detail. You know, what what is um, you know, what is actually a good management? You know, is it just a straight, simple yes or no? They're a good management, but um, that's probably where the checklist we've gone through previously really does look at the numbers around a management so yeah I, I do like the simple stuff i do like the simple one here but i think that you could we could probably even add it a little bit to some of those things so some of the numbers to the management and find out well that's that's actually how we can determine whether they're good man in, you know it's a good management team or not it would yeah. be interesting to see him go through it himself and, and and have and put his little spiel on each individual um i guess point of the yep. of the eight um I, I would dare say he would probably have a bit more depth to it personally, but um yeah, but I, I think I think I like this because it you know it's straightforward and fairly object fairly like um obviously a lot of it is subjective as well, but you know you can kind of make your own you know thoughts on an excellent management team and and I guess for us this is great because we look at this and all of this is kind of intertwined into our our checklist um the one we use anyways not it's not ours I won't call it ours but um the one we use and you know we dive deeper into excellent management but like you said he would have you know what makes excellent management but he also yeah. would be able to talk to their management teams and you know he right. have a bit more of an understanding yeah I was I think, just about to say that. Yeah, uh, he, I he, think, he would. He being in that industry, he's probably got a fairly sort of good idea of, um, you know, who people are when they're coming in, or they take over a company, or the board of directors, and yeah, um, he's got that sort of insider or inside knowledge for sure. Those. And I think uh, good governance there as well. I think that just comes. I think good governance says a lot about integrity. You know, if in yeah. my opinion, like, yeah, you know, are they acting integrally? to the investors, to the company, you know? So yeah, I think that that's a good way to finish it off. And um, yeah, it's fairly simple. Uh, I recommend there is a good video on YouTube. So if anybody's listening to this and wants to see Bill Ackman go through this stuff, I watched it a while ago, so I can't remember how deep he goes into it, but he does talk about these points and he would give a bit of information on each. So yeah. Cool. I'll check it out this week. Sweet. So that's, um, yeah, that's Bill Ackman's yep. eight-step checklist. Um, and as you can see, a lot to do with the same stuff as we do.
yeah, I like it, mate. And the, the simplicity of it, and um, just another, uh, I guess, another um, expert and, and how they do things. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, good stuff. Oh, I might let you go because you are uh, sweating up a storm there. And I gotta, I gotta go hydrate, mate. Yeah, I just lost lost two kilos of sweat. I think and it looks like actually it feels like it's just about to start raining. So um, yeah, might be about might be out of storm down here. I reckon. Good old Queensland weather, mate. I miss it. Oh, <laughs> mate, it is humid as anything. Can you see my? Yeah, I'll check out this shirt. It's wet as. Yeah, uh, good. All good. Enough good, about good. my uh, heating. It's <laughs> a mold. All right. Um, another good week, and um, yeah. Well, mate yeah well thanks for um leading it today and yeah thanks to the listeners for tuning into another episode of the legacy investing podcast don't forget to rate us on itunes and spotify and um yeah shout out to all those people who have given us a five-star rating thank you very much appreciate it have a good week mate catch you next week you too mate thanks for another one have a good one no worries thanks All information on the Legacy Investing Podcast is the opinions of the hosts and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional financial, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of the Legacy Investing Podcast and any contributors to the podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should consult a licensed financial professional.